Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Crowell, a cognitive psychologist, coach, and the creator of the Great Work Journals. Every week on this podcast, we are asking the big questions. What is great work and why does it matter so much to us? What does it take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? So whether your great work is building your own small business or managing a remote team at a multinational company, you'll find insight and answers here. Welcome, everybody, to Unleashing Your Great Work. Today, I am super excited to talk to Stephanie Willoughby, who is an award-winning published photographer and the founder of Little Love Stories, a photography company that focuses on newborn, maternity, and family photography. Stephanie is the proud mother of three exceptionally wise children, six plucky chickens, and two scruffy dogs. Stephanie and her husband manage their small farm in the suburbs of New Jersey, where she runs her business and works hard at becoming a better version of herself. Well, what a great bio. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I can't wait to hear all of your wisdom. Maybe perhaps all of it taken from your exceptionally wise children. We'll find out. We will. We will. <laughs> well, let's start where we always start. Tell us a little bit about your great work. So um, I listened to your podcast mm -hmm. and over the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of taking notes on the things that you have said and other people have said, and it really got me thinking about great work because initially when I was thinking about what is great work. I was thinking I would say to you, my great work is photography. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I really like broke it down and kind of figured out like what great work is to me, um, what I kept circling back to is like the fact that I think what my great work is, is that I'm able to connect with people. Mm. And through that connection, I get to be a storyteller and a memory maker. Mm. And I feel like that truly is the gift of the work that I do. Um, so I feel like photography is my work that mm -hmm. I really, really love and adore. However, what makes it great is really the connection that I have to the people that I get to photograph and how that will affect generations long after us, right? So at some mm. point, like, I won't exist on this earth and neither will they, but like a hundred years from now, how... I chose to tell their story and capture that is how another person is going to see their like great, great grandfather or, Aww. you know, their dad when he was really young. And I think about that a lot and the responsibility of that a lot. And I think for me, that's what makes my work really great. Wow. I love that so much. And it really just resonates that sense of a legacy of leaving a little bit of not, it's not a little bit of them. It's not a little bit of you. It's like a little piece of your connection is left. Yes, behind. absolutely. It's so cool too, because I feel like I have one of those jobs. It's, it's a really lovely job. It's really wonderful. And it makes me super happy. And, you know, I really have the benefit of being with 
people at their best moments. Mm. You know, nobody's calling you in to photograph something that's um, incredibly hard or scary or sad. Um, mm-hmm. And there are photographers that do that type of work, you know, journalistic mm-hmm. photographers and God bless them. But for me, um, I'm called in when there's something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So I really get to vibe off of their really excited or good energy. And I get to add a little bit of mine into that. And then I, I get so much more than I give with mm. my job, you know, and then there's this other half of it, like you're pointing out the legacy of it that I'm not necessarily thinking about when I'm in the moment with them, but mm-hmm. when I'm in the edit with their photos, I'm thinking like, okay, it's really important mm-hmm. to me that I capture this correctly or that I don't make their um, skin tone too far from realistic because this is how someone's going to remember this time in their lives. And then later on, how someone else is going to view or see a person who has long Mm. since been gone. So um, yeah, it's a really, it's a great job and it it is really great work. Yeah. And I have to imagine that people choose you for these moments in part because you also have celebratory energy as a person. Would you, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I feel like I'm pretty (laughs) celebratory. (laughs) I don't know how great I am at adulting. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I'm like, I'm not great at like being an actual adult, but I'm really great at being a super like happy. I will meet you where you're at. Like Mm -hmm. let's never have surface conversation. Let's just get full into it. And Um, I can match anyone's excitement and I do, I find that to be a gift that I have and I'm grateful for. Yeah. And, and uh, perhaps elevate their excitement. I feel like I have experienced Stephanie and I live in this, just, just for the the listeners, Stephanie and I live in the same town and we became friends most of all, while we were waiting for our children to finish their baseball games. Well, you were watching (laughs) the baseball games. I was waiting for the baseball games to finish so I could celebrate with my child who did baseball things. (laughs) Um, and I feel like many times I start out in my sort of baseline state and then I talk to you and I'm happier and that is quite a, quite a gift for people. And has that always been the case for you? Have you always been somebody who just sees the best in people and, and what has that been sort of a lifelong thing for you? What's it been like for you? Yes, it really has been a lifelong thing. And it's such a, it's such a lovely compliment to get. I'm not even sure I'm deserving of all of that, Mm but, um, I do think, in general, I'm, I've always been a very happy person. And I, Mm. I really, I always say like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I think it's like a super popular to be like, I don't like people or I don't want to. And, and it's kind of like the same way people say that they hate their job. I don't even Mm. think that's true for most people. I think it's just something we say Mm. because it's like popular opinion, but Mm. I, I actually really enjoy people and I don't Mm. need anyone to be just like me. I'm just very like interested in everybody's story. And I find that, um, I've always had an ability to, no matter what we're discussing. And obviously like when I was younger, it wasn't things that are as serious as it is now, like Mm -hmm. politics or religion or whatever, but I can kind of appreciate almost anybody's point of view. I may not agree with it. Mm. Um, but I do really enjoy this about myself that I've always sort of been able to talk to anyone, about anything. Um, but I think that sort of skill gets really honed when I also was like never the kind of kid when I was in school that was going to be like an A plus student, like school mm. never came really easily to me. Um, but 
I'll chat with you about anything and I'll be really fun and we'll like hang out and I can talk about the super important things that are not tangible, but Hmm. I was never going to be the kid that like got, you know, straight A's or Hmm. um, even straight B's that just like was not, not my game at all. Um, But I met a lot of really great people who were really willing to help me mostly because I think they just either A felt bad for me and we thought she seems fine. Like I'll spend time helping her. So that's kind of where I landed. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a cool, it's, it's a good little, um, party trick, I suppose, to have in your back pocket. Like, I just really like, I enjoy people and I like talking about all the things and, you know, relating with them. And I've always, always enjoyed that. Yeah. That's awesome. So you, so you combine this sort of love for people and this ability to celebrate with them and to help them feel even more excited about the thing that's happening than maybe they did at the beginning with really quite an amazing aesthetic. Like I have to, I have to be honest. I, I lurk on your, your little love stories, Instagram page. <laughs> now I don't, you know, I'm not actually somebody who like I have children and I love them, but as far right. as like pictures of babies and, you know, I'm much more likely to go follow a bunch of dogs on Instagram, but there's something about your photography. That's really so lovely. And I'm wondering how has your sort of visual artistry story evolved? Have you always been artistic and, and sort of that way or. Yeah. Um, that, that's so sweet of you to say, thank you. I really, <laughs> um, have come to, to love my photography as well. Cause I think that ultimately it's just about being honest, right? Like I am not the type of photographer that has a bunch of kids in front of me and tells them to say cheese or to smile. I do not, I will never tell them to smile. Mm. Um, what I do say to them is like, how are you feeling today? Like, what do you, what are you thinking about? Like what happened today? How has it been? I haven't seen you in a little bit. Did you get bigger? Show me how you got bigger. You know, like we have all these crazy conversations, myself and these kiddos. And the last thing I will say to them is like, I just want you to like, hang out with me in front of this lens and let's see what happens, you know, because I think there's nothing worse than like a forced smile. Um, but in regards to your question, um, yeah, I have always, been really creative. I don't know. I didn't really find the path of photography right away, though. I've been a photographer my whole life. Mm. Um, you know, when I was younger, I think my mom had like one compliment I will always give her is like, she was really good at reading who we were and what we would be good at. Mm. So I took photography classes from very young. And then my parents built me a, um, a, a dark room in the basement. Yeah. This is like, you know, the late eighties, early (laughs) nineties. So you could still do dark. How old were you down there with those chemicals? (laughs) Exactly. I was probably about sixth and seventh grade when I started. Um, I had taken this like local photography class and it was the first time I had been exposed to like manual settings. And I want to say I was photographing things like a flower or, you know, you don't have subjects of like your friends or anything. Um, So it would just be stuff that I saw around our house or outside or whatever. And then I had this dark room. And at the time you could still buy the chemicals. You cannot do that now. They are Mm. not sold in the U.S. Um, And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to like (laughs) go international, Um, (laughs) truly. Um, Or be like commercial, black market photography. (laughs) It's on the dark web now. But um, at the time it was like, you could 
just, you would mix the chemicals and then you could have it all downstairs. And I would like, you know, create these photographs and they would all be matte and black and white because that's the only thing I knew how to do. And I would like kind of um, put them up and look at them. And then as time went on, I did get an automatic camera. Mm. Um, again, not digital, but automatic. And I would take photos of everything and all of our friends and all of our events and all the things that unfolded and I'd take video of things on our camcorder. I've just mm-hmm. always been into um, storytelling in that way. And then when I was in high school, um, the back of my closet door, I had like taken all the photos, had them all developed or I developed them and I would like cut them out and make this collage and I hot glue gun them on the back of my closet door. And it made over the four years of high school, like this massive, basically like a story arc of, you know, my friends and myself. And that's what I did for fun. Um, mm. I was a real, real fun girl, apparently, because I was just, like, like in it. my room. <laughs> yeah, like Hot glue gunning the room. Hot glue gunning and going to the craft store. Like the second <laughs> I could drive, I remember going to like the scrapbook store and being like, this is wild. Like, let's go do this. <laughs> Look you at know? all this paper. <laughs> so much paper and stickers. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, obviously party animal over here. But yeah, so I had always done photography. And then as I got older, um, I really got into theater. I was never a sports kid. Mm. Um, I really thought I wanted to be an actress and my parents were like, not super in favor of that. (laughs) I wanted to go to NYU. I wanted to leave for New York very badly. I grew up in the Midwest and I was like, I had this bee in my bonnet from the time I was in about seventh grade. I'm like, I'm going to New York. I'm going to be an artist. I might be an actress. This might be Mm. amazing. And they were like, you can go to New York. I got into NYU. They're like, we will pay for NYU, but you absolutely are not allowed to go to theater school you can oh, wow yeah you can if you get into NYU film school you can go to NYU film school and you can become a producer or a journalist but you absolutely cannot be an actress or, mm. or they won't pay for it I said okay and um and well, what was it about being an actress that they were totally against um, I think it was the money part of it. And mm. I think it was also just like the struggle part of it. I don't mm. think that they had a lot of faith that <laughs> I would be able to like make something out of my life with that. Like, I don't, mm. I think it wasn't so much that they were worried I'd be like living on the streets. I think it was more just like, I think they were worried about like me being in New York and then like a starving artist and mm. how is she going to like, you know, get her life together. Um, but mm-hmm. it turned out, I'm, I'm actually kind of grateful that I did not go. Cause it's not, it's actually not even a hobby of mine now. Oh, um, yeah. Which is so funny. Like I think about that now and I'm like, I would never get on the stage and like do, mm. but for a very long time I did when I was a kid. Um, you know, so anyway, I, I studied photography while I was at NYU. I studied film and television. I did become a television producer. Um, mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until after I had my first child that I started sort of thinking like television life wasn't that sustainable with kids because I was a post-production supervisor. So I would look at the edits and the footage that came in all day and do color correction with the editors, work with the editors. Sometimes I would edit and, but I'd be there all night, like through the Uh, night, one, two in the morning. And it's just, when you have a little one, it's just not, mm -hmm. not something you can really do. Um, And then we started. What kind of TV was it that you were, that things were coming in all day? 
so it was reality, the beginning of reality TV. Um, oh. So this is in like the 2000s, mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. And we were doing shows like The Hills for MTV, or okay. um, I did a show called like 50 Grand in Your Hand for DIY Network, or I'd be at TLC for a little while. Like okay. I was always freelance. Okay. Um, yeah. So then you really would get hundreds of hours of footage. Oh my gosh, so much footage. And you have edit banks. You've got, you know, like six editors working on something, but when you're supervising the editors and you yourself mm-hmm. are an editor and um, I always sort of had an eye for color and mm-hmm. color correction. And so I'm doing all of these things, which was really cool work um, mm-hmm. and watching down shows. Somebody has to watch every show before it goes to air to make sure that there's no, you know, nothing wrong in the edit and that the story is told correctly. So that was my job. And I really, really loved that job but I did not love it more than my baby. Right. <laughs> so, right. Who you never right, saw. Right, right. Who I never saw. And, you know, we had a nanny. I was living in Brooklyn. Like we were living that life and it was, it was cool. But like at that time, there really weren't a lot of female producers that I was aware of that had kids. Um, and I knew I wanted more kids and knew we wanted to move to Jersey. Um, and so I kind of had to start figuring out like what, what was going to be next. And that's when I, um, was like photographing my baby and being like, maybe I will do this. Um, Cause I also could not afford a photographer to photograph my baby. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to bust out that camera from film school. And I sure did. Like I just started photographing Gracie um, and, you know, asking friends if I could photograph their families. Um, and that's kind of how it all started to evolve at that point. Hmm. And what has it grown to? How many, you know, families do you do? How do you, how do you share about yourself? Like, how do you get your business? Like, what's that been the business side of it? How's that been? Yeah, it's, well, it was slow to start because whenever you're a newborn photographer, um, you have to probably, I would say you have to photograph like I don't know, 100, 200 newborns before you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like a really simple thing, but it's, it's, there's angles, there's ways to do it. And then there's, of course, the most important thing being baby safety. So I mm-hmm. knew I was like a family photographer. I kind of got that part going first because that doesn't, that was more of an aesthetics thing. It's just like, I think this location's pretty. I think you should wear these colors, meet me here. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. You can do candids and it's more playful and fun. Um, And then maternity was something that I kind of had to be skilled into. I started doing retreats and things from people who really knew what they were doing to figure out what the angles for Mm -hmm. that was. But again, you're working with adults and there's no safety issue. Um, So the Mm -hmm. newborn part was actually the the hardest to develop and the slowest to develop, but is my most popular session now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like, you know, starting with like just families around town, which I think is so funny because I see Mm -hmm. some of the kids I practiced on now who are in second grade, third grade, oh fourth grade. And I just want to apologize to their parents because it oh. was like horrible. Oh, like no. I looked at those photos and I'm like, oh my God, I pray you never, like, did you throw them out? Like, no. what did you do? They were awful um, compared to now. Right. But everybody has a beginning, um, you know, so, <laughs> yes. and you know, those early days I was working like one Saturday a month and now I work, um, you know, I probably have, I don't know, about six sessions a week, if not more. And wow. then in my busier times, you know, a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And, um, and it's, it's kind of wonderful. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have very many days where I'm not holding an infant or hanging out with someone who's pregnant or a family. And I just, I really love it. It's really fun. Oh, wow. Well, that's, um, that's a good segue to one of my favorite questions, which is, you know, doing great work is, 
is something we love, right? And it's almost always something that has some hiccups to it. It requires some learning and some overcoming and some, I think, becoming of who we need to be in order to do this work to the best of our potential. And I'm curious from you, like, what were some of the struggles that you had to overcome to really kind of live your way into this uh, current great work? Yes. I, you know, it's so interesting. I feel like the biggest obstacle for me is always me. Mm. And I don't, I really don't think it comes from anything, um, any outside influences. I'm really lucky that I married a person who from the beginning really just trusted me and was, you know, he has a very stable, normal person job (laughs) and we're very grateful for it, but he loves his work so much and he's so happy. He like gets up and is like whistling and can't wait to get to work. And he has these incredible days and um, my husband's in education. And I I think it's a really challenging job, but he like absolutely loves and adores it. And Mm. I didn't really have that example growing up. I mean, my parents worked, I would not say they had they loved their work. And I wouldn't say they had like, they would have said that their work was like this great work, right? Mm. Maybe, and maybe on occasion or at times, but in general, there was, they kind of carried that same attitude that most Americans and people do, which is like, I got to get up and go to work. It's a grind, Mm. blah, blah, blah. Right. But Matt has always had this, like, isn't this the best thing ever? We get to Mm. do what we love. And so when I was starting out and we had these kids and we were so poor and so broke and so, underwater. And I'm just kind of like, just trust me. Um, mm. that was like a really heavy lift. Cause he was like, okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then he did. And I don't even know that I could have done that with him to be really honest. I was just sort of like super lucky that he loved his work and was stable. And then he was just like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Um, but it does put a ton of pressure on me. Right. And on myself, cause I can't let down these little humans that I created Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly can't de- let down this man who has put all of his faith in me figuring this out. So I would say like the biggest struggle really was having to sort of put my head down and be like, you can do this. You can make a career out of this. You can make money doing this and you can somehow get to the point where you're not working every weekend because as my kids have gotten older, they're involved in so many different things. And I don't want to miss a second of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't ever want to miss a second of it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like to me, the great work that sort of happened was really happening when it was like my back up against a wall, Mm -hmm. like, you know, so that was the struggle. The struggle was just being confident enough in myself and, and just kind of keep going, even when it didn't for a really long time, look, I wasn't producing the work that I wanted ultimately, right? Like I thought it should look like this, but I wasn't skilled enough to get it to that place. So for a long time, you're studying other people and you're looking at what they do and you're like, wait, okay, okay. Maybe you do this. Maybe I'll try this. And you're trying all these different things. And then you sort of get to the point where you're like, it doesn't have to look like any of that. It's got to look like whatever my great work looks like. Yeah. And that was a struggle because I think for any of us, like putting a lot of faith in yourself is hard because, yeah. you know, you're still just a human and you've got to like, everybody's telling you to manifest your energy and concentrate <laughs> on this and like, you know, like, don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Don't, uh-huh. you know, like make, but, but make money, but like, don't 
overcharge. Well, don't undersell yourself. You're a girl boss. Like there's all these like things and you're just like, I mostly just want to go to my kid's softball game and connect with people. And I like looking at pretty things. So like, how can we make that work? Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think that was really the biggest struggle for me was just like, not, I just did not want to let anyone down. I didn't want to like have wasted my parents' money at NYU. I didn't want to, you know, have my children not have the life that I had envisioned for them. And I did not want to let Matt down because he had put so much faith and trust in me. And um, in the end, it all worked out. But yeah, there were a lot of years in there where it was kind of like iffy. Like, okay, yeah. I think this is, this could work. And then eventually you just kind of keep doing it and it became a thing. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you've got to check out the Great Work Community. The Great Work Community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together. Come on over for a co-working, accountability, coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out the Great Work Community. The link is in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people back away from their great work for exactly that reason. I mean, it it comes in a lot of different packages. Like for some people, it's about, I don't want to fail in front of other people. Sometimes it's that feeling that you're describing of like, just not wanting to let anyone down. And it can really, it can really, I think, suppress and push people into ways of being that are not really natural to them, like procrastination or rumination or like all of these things that, that really are just like these manifestations of these, of these worries. And I'm wondering, what did you have to realize in order to stay in it? I mean, to, to some extent you said like your back was against the wall, there was no other option, but when that's the case, it's, I'm sure you weren't in a panicked sort of anxious hot mess state for all those years. Like there was some movement, there were some realizations, some insights, like what did you learn about yourself? How did you manage that um, struggle? Oh, that's such a great question. I think I'm still to an extent managing um, a little bit of the struggle, except now I kind of have more of an ebb and flow to it. I've been doing it for Mm -hmm. so long that I don't panic when I have a week that I'm not working versus Mm -hmm. a week where I am. Right. But um, it's so interesting that you phrase it like that, Amanda, because I think about this all the time. I can't explain how many people will say to me, oh, you're so lucky. You got so lucky hmm. because I think from the outside looking in, I do kind of make my own schedule. I have um, an, an amazing business manager who manages a lot of the stuff I don't want to do and have no real desire to do like, you know, my calendar and mm-hmm. um, contracts and all of that stuff. Right. So I get a lot of, you're so lucky. And, and then I meet a lot of people and it's usually the people who are telling me how lucky I am where they're like, I have to go to this job. I don't want to be there, but I really can't figure out what it is that I want to do. But like, and then when I talk to them six months from now, they're still at these jobs that they really hate. Mm-hmm. And I always think like, yeah, I've been, I have had a very blessed life. There is no doubt about that. Right. And I have Mm -hmm. been lucky, but a lot of it is really just, I don't have a fear of failure that I think most people do. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I don't have that fear of failure. I think honestly, like, and, and you would know more about this than me by far, But honestly, I think a lot of it is I was not a great student in Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. and I was never told what I was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was never in gifted and talented, 
Nobody really had this expectation that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or work on Wall Street. So in a way, it's really freeing. Mm -hmm. And I have come to think of that as a gift now, Mm -hmm. because I think if like, I don't know if I was really good at math, somebody might've suggested I become an accountant or Mm -hmm. an architect. And because I was the actual opposite Mm -hmm. of good at math or like, you know, um, I could write pretty well, but I didn't know all the punctuation. Nobody was ever like, you should go into literature you should become Mm -hmm. a publisher or whatever. So I just never had a fear of failing because I don't think the expectation for me was that I was going to be um, one of the little pegged things that we call in society as like a, like a, one of these official jobs, official job. Right. (laughs) I didn't have that. Right. So I kind of got to be, I kind of got to explore and I got to figure out like what makes me really happy. And so I do get sometimes frustrated because I'm like, I'm not really lucky. I just was really brave. Mm -hmm. And I think that something that like now that I'm 41, I really have taken on and been like, yeah, that's kind of a great thing about me. And I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful that I, I have been able to sort of like fight the scary parts with just like reminding myself, like, Hey, you're really brave. You moved to New York when you were 17, you, Mm. you know, um, had these experiences, you lived on your own, you've had roommates, you've had friends, you've gone on vacation, like, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, like, whatever the circumstances were, and um, even the struggling things, like, I think that, like, ultimately, I just kind of have always fallen back on, no, you're really brave. And that's sort of the dialogue that comes in my head, especially when things are scary when it comes to business or like, you know, I'm looking down the barrel as I'm sure you are. And many of your listeners are to kids going to college. I don't really know how all of this is going to (laughs) work. Right. But I'm hoping that like some of the grit and some of the bravery, um, and some of the sort of like, don't be led by fear rubs off on my kids. Cause that has been genuinely like the, the greatest gift, um, that I have been given. Yeah. Well, what, what that brings up for me is like in the world of education, uh, we talk a fair amount or I do anyways, about, uh, the, like our beliefs about like who we are as intellectual thinking, learning people, sometimes they call it the growth mindset. And like, do you hold the belief that through effort over time with the right strategies, you could do basically anything like you might realize like that's very far away over there, matrix algebra, but with effort over time and the right help, I can do that. And what's interesting is that like, as a, as a super duper pathological high achiever myself, like just everything had to be like exactly right at all times. You know, one of the interesting things I learned about the growth mindset and really helped me kind of like reel it in is the realization that what we need to understand is uh, that there is no actual perfection. There's no, there like that, that's all a ruse that that's all an, um, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, an illusion, um, right. Mm-hmm. It's an illusion. Anyways, it, it falls apart. It's a house of cards, a paper tiger, like all of those things. And yet if you spend your whole life maintaining the paper tiger, like with your thing of tape, right? Like taping up every time it gets a little tear that becomes your identity. It's a really unfortunate burden to carry as a person, you know, and what's fascinating out of the growth mindset research is that the people in the world 
who don't really have a fixed mindset. Cause that's that sort of like, I have to maintain this image or everyone's going to discover that I'm a massive fraud. And then my life is over is basically how the fixed mindset feels. The people with a growth mindset just naturally are the ones who like often went into special education or had IEPs or struggled with something and needed tutoring. And like, someone is going to have to help me because they're the ones who experienced a struggle, a strategy and an improvement. And that lived experience is what sort of grounds you into real body knowing that whatever it is that's happening, I can find my way through it. I don't have to already know. Nobody has to believe in me, but me. And I feel like that's part of what you're describing too. And and that does give somebody the ability to be more courageous because what do you really have to know in life other than I trust me? I know that I can figure this out. This, even if it's really hard, I'm here with me and I've got this. A hundred percent. I am so grateful this is recorded because (sighs) I'm going to play it back all the time. I did not really know about the growth mindset, not in the way that you just described it. I've heard of it, obviously, Mm -hmm. but like, it's just, oh my God, you just hit on so many amazing and wonderful things. And I genuinely feel like what you are saying has been true for me. I did not Mm -hmm. have an IEP um, when I was growing up, but I had enough experiences where it was like, all these people are doing so much better than you in this like very, I, I went to private school my whole life in this private school, like you're kind of the, like the bottom of the barrel. And, and I was working really hard to mm-hmm. maintain that placement, but there comes a point where you just sort of accept, I am never mm-hmm. going to beat y'all at this game. So I'm just right. going to do my own thing. Opt out of the game. I'm opting out of the game. Like that's okay. And it's completely fair that you do your thing and you do that well, because I'm just going to be over here doing my thing and doing that well. And so much of what you just said with my oldest child, she is the exact opposite of me. She's more like her dad. She is a brilliant student. Things come very easily to her. She's Mm -hmm. also incredibly athletic. She got the gift of being incredibly tall. She has everything that on paper would make kind of for the most perfect little life that you could live, right? Except that she has a fixed mindset. And we saw it very early on. And when she was, you know, nine, 10 years old, um, we put her into softball. And that was super strategic on our part. She happened to like softball, which was helpful. But (laughs) baseball and softball, as you know, Amanda, because we have, you know, a kid who plays baseball, uh, this is a game of failure. And right, like (laughs) it's a game of failure and it's a game of averages and it's Uh a game where if you hit the ball three times out of 10, you are a freaking bazillion dollar athlete, right? Like (laughs) that's what it is. We are throwing a spinning ball in Mm -hmm. space at your head. (laughs) And the whole objective here is that you hit it and not just hit it, but hit it in such a way that it like tricks the nine people in the field. (laughs) And it's just, it's insanity. It is like the hardest stinking sport to play. And I love it with my entire being because Mm. you will never perfect baseball or softball. It's never, ever going to happen. I don't care how great you are. You can be Jenny Finch herself. 
you are never going to get up to that plate and hit every time. You're not going to pitch a perfect game every time. That is why those, those types of things and the people who played it really, really, really well are far and few between. And we all know their names, even if you've never watched a baseball game mm-hmm. in your life, you know, mm-hmm. a Hank Aaron, you know, who Babe Ruth is, right? Yep. Because that's how hard it is mm-hmm. to do this well. And I have seen with her, this is how we learn to manage her perfection. Mm-hmm. We went from a kid who would, and I'm not getting you, be on the pitcher's mound crying, mm-hmm. tears flowing down her face because she just wanted to strike every kid mm-hmm. out every single time. And it was never going to happen. And the hardest thing I've ever done as a parent is sit there and mm-hmm. watch that kid fail time after time after time after time. But you know what? Three years later, maybe four <laughs> now, she has stopped crying. And when she strikes out or she does, or she gets a walk, if she's pitching Mm. or whatever, whatever that particular game gave her or did not give her, Mm -hmm. she treats the wins like she does the losses. Mm. And it makes me feel like we are kind of giving her something that is not natural to her. It's like the one thing I got natural to me, my daughter did not get at all. Right. And we have seen her really just grow as a person. And I pray that she's able to carry that, that feeling through life, because right now she's like a head down focus. She wants to be a physician. Mm -hmm. Um, she thinks she knows what kind of physician she wants. And that's great. But like, again, you're not going to save every life, right? Like you're not going to get it right every time. And you need to like, learn to accept that now. Um, so anyway, Mm -hmm. just everything you said, it's just so poignant and so perfect because that's exactly right. I think if we all kind of figured out how to sit with our failures. Yeah. That's the thing with a sport. It's embarrassing. Right. And you know, you feel like you've let people down. It's like the whole thing. And with just like being a person, you know, it comes in a lot of different forms. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did learn that really early on. And I think it just made me brave to try other things. And I, um, you know, I really, I really am super grateful for all of it because I really, really love my work and I really, really love my life. And Mm -hmm. I really, really feel like I, um, I didn't, I didn't let sort of the other things stop me. And I'm grateful for that. Very grateful. Well, and when you're not trying to maintain the illusion of perfection in everyone's eyes, like looking around every corner to look and see like where people might notice that you made a mistake or point out that you didn't do it right or tell you that you're going too slowly or whatever, if you're not fixated on that, then you can actually listen to the voice inside of you that is always there saying, hey, go pick up the camera, point it at that kid. What's that like? You can yeah. follow that voice as it leads you to the place where the big courage is worth it. A hundred percent. It's a shot because it's really, really in my heart. It's really for me yeah. as opposed to what are the six things I'm allowed to do in my life? I could be a doctor or a lawyer, or, you know, like you said, the, the official right. jobs. And then you don't even allow yourself to, to imagine. And then what a shame that is. What have we lost as a species? Oh my gosh. Artists, writers, like what have we lost? It's so crazy too. My famous phrase, I use this all the time. Let's just try it on. Yeah. Right. Like what's the trouble in trying it on? I do this Mm. with my business a lot too. There's a lot of things I'm like, I think we could maybe, maybe I'll start making my own announcements. I'm not a graphic designer, but like what's the harm in trying it on? Let's try it Mm -hmm. on. Let's just try it on. So I sit there with 
my business manager all the time. And I'm like, I get an idea and then we execute it. You know, mm-hmm. like I came into this year and I was thinking I do a ton of cake smashes that celebrate little ones first birthdays. What if I made an at-home kit? What would that look like? How do Aww. you do that? Like, what is that worth? It's really cute. I have to tell you. And we did it. You know, I was like, she helped me with some research. I've never been a, like a person who did merchandising in my life. And then I was suddenly like, oh, I know. Okay. I learned this. And that mm-hmm. was really satisfying. And honestly, by the time we got all the materials and sourced everything and figured out how you explain choking and like, what's my liability and consult it with a lawyer and, you know, like all these things. Yeah. And then by the time the kit finally arrived, I was like, I put it together. It's like, oh, well, that was nice but I almost don't even need it to be successful. I, I, I kind of feel like the victory was in doing it. Yeah. And I feel like that about almost everything, right? Mm -hmm. I keep planning a vegetable garden and every year it just fails. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I can only grow two things. So now we have two gardens, one with tomatoes (laughs) and one with Swiss chard, because that's the only thing I can grow. Oh my God, at least Swiss chard sounds fancy. I was going to say, I can only get a cucumber and then (laughs) some squash. And we're always like, what do you do with this now? Like it's massive. And we've got a groundhog living on our property who keeps eating everything. I'm like, oh my God. But you know what? I plan it every year because what's the harm? try it on, just try it on. And I really Mm. wish more adults would just try something on. Like not every hobby is going to be your career, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's fine, but Mm -hmm. like, there's no harm in just letting yourself dream a little and just try it on. And live a little, live into it. And live a little. Yes. Right. Like, no, we can't really think our way into being someone new. We really have to live our way into it. Yeah. That description of the cake, the, the smash cake kit such a great example of like, you think when you have no experience that this, these are the four steps that will be involved in that. And then you live through it and you're like, wow, I'm now like, so in awe of what is required in this world and the people who do things, something really lovely about that. I agree completely. Well, I love it. I'm so happy that we were here having this conversation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Me too. Yeah. So, um, Tell us how we can learn more about you. If we live in Essex County, New Jersey, you will take our pictures. But if we don't, (laughs) what can we do? Uh, So I'm on Instagram and Facebook, always under Little Love Stories Photography. I gave up on Twitter long ago. I don't Mm -hmm. understand how to use it. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I'm not going to try now. Um, And um, my website is littlelovestories.com. So you can always find me there. And I'd be so happy to meet new families and friends and chat more about epic failures and epic growth as a result of it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm so very grateful. Oh, thank you, Miss Amanda. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us today on Unleashing Your Great Work. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And make sure you check out the Great Work Journals to get the support you need to get started, stay at it, and unleash your great work out into the world.